Um, thank you for choosing to worship with us today. We certainly are glad that you are here. Before I do start my sermon, I just w- I want to highlight a couple of things. Um, one is if you're watching on the live stream uh, on our YouTube channel, then thank you. We're glad that you're joining us as well. Uh, and whether you're here or watching on our live stream, one thing you can do to help is share the link and share it on your Facebook page, social media, whatever, share it with friends so they get to see and watch too, and then maybe come and, and visit in person. And we look forward to the day when some of you who are watching live stream will you know, take that risk and, and walk through the doors and join us in person, person. It will be a glorious and wonderful thing to see you again or for the first time. Um, the other thing I wanted to highlight, as Jake just talked about, was compassion, uh, compassion children. And um, this is kind of shameless, but it's also necessary because sometimes it's like, oh, there's a compassion child. They're out there and out of sight, out of mind. Um, but here's a boy. I just grabbed it off the table when Jake was making the announcement. His name's Samuel. He lives in Nicaragua. He just had his birthday, June 15th, and he's been waiting for a sponsor for 358 days so that he can get education, medical care, and help. Um, I don't know, there's more on the table, but sometimes when you see it, you're like, oh, maybe I should take another look at that. 38 bucks a month. So um, if you're interested, the table is in the lobby. Uh, And then the other announcement I have um, that I'm I'm just going to say it again here. Jake said it a minute ago, but this is really important because if we don't say it like 100 times, you won't hear it. On August 15th, if you come to church at 10.30, you will be late. If you come to church at 9, there won't be anybody here except for the worship team. There will only be one service, and one service only on August 15th. What day is that? August what? How many services? One. It's at 10 a.m. It's different. It's not either of the times that we normally start. Just 10. 10, 15, 10 o'clock, August 15. Got it? Got it? Get it? Good. We're having a congregational meeting. Jake told you as part of that. Um, two reasons we do that every year. One is we'll present to you the budget and information on what's coming up for this year, but also election of new officers. And we sent out an email uh, regarding that, so you guys should know who those officer candidates are. Uh, and um, we're excited about that. Have four elder candidates and one deacon candidate. Um, and so they get elected by the congregation to the members of the church. Um, all right. So having said that, let me... Uh, let me tell you about golf, because I played golf yesterday. Uh, I'm not going to tell you about that game yesterday, but golf is a weird sport, okay? Golf is a sport that is a game of opposites, okay? Here's what I mean by that. Um, it, it's like these inverse relationships. If, you're, if you've got a hit over water or some other kind of hazard, right, and um, you're golfing and you're afraid of that, and so the thing, you're like, man, this ball's got to go up in the air, and so in your mind, you're like, it's got to go up, and so you want to swing up at that ball, and you're trying to swing up to make it go up in the air, And every time you try that, it doesn't work. Because what ends up happening is either you blade the ball and then it just shoots low and and maybe you get lucky and you get that skipping across the water and you're like, yes, pulled out the skipping wedge. Or what happens is um, you actually hit the ball and cut up on it, but you create topspin and it dips again. That's not the way the club's designed. The club is designed with the slope so that you actually don't hit up at the ball, you actually hit down on the ball. And the ball rolls up the face of the club, creating flight, and it goes. Like, oh, that's how the game's played, right? Now, it's easier said than done because it's a frustrating game. But it's weird. It doesn't work the way you would think. i got to hit it up. No, you don't. you got to hit down at it so it'll go up. It's not just like that in the game of golf, right? There's other parts of life that are like that. Weirdly, relationships often act opposite of what we think they might. And it's also true when you're following Jesus, 
things sometimes are just opposite of what you might think, of what you would seem. I mean, um, think about this, right? Uh, Jesus tells us to live a sexually pure life. That's opposite of what culture says and what many of the people would want to do, right? He tells us to love your enemies. Really? And to pray for those who are mean to you and persecute you. Really? It's like this life of opposites. You're like, um, I don't know. Like, that just seems hard. And, well, today, here's another one for you. From James chapter 5, verse 16, in this series, One Another. Let's put this on the screen. Here's the verse for today, the topic that we're looking at. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Let me pray. Lord, this is your word, and you say that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but your word stands forever. Help us to see the relevance for today and to put it in practice in our lives for today, tomorrow, and the days to come. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. So confessing sins just seems so opposite, but more than that, it seems so self-defeating. It seems so self, self-destructive, painful, embarrassing, unfulfilling. Like, give me a list of the, of the, list of the things that I want to do, and the least of them is confess my sins to somebody else. Why would I ever want to do that? There's lots of reasons you wouldn't want to do that. And probably the, the biggest reason that I, that I think you wouldn't want to do that is because you won't confess your sin if you have forgotten God's grace. You won't confess your sin if you've forgotten God's grace. One of the most tempting things to believe about life for you and I as individuals, as humans on this planet, one of the most tempting things to believe about life is that our greatest problems exist somewhere out there outside of us. Oh, we got problems, man. We got problems. We got, we got the, the delta variety or variant or whatever. We got, you know, problems in, around the world and... Uh, wherever at the Olympics, right here in Richmond, in our, in our own house, whatever. But the problems are out there. And what Scripture is reminding us of is saying that the problem actually starts inside you. Right? We think the problem in the world is people, and usually we're looking at other people and saying they're the problem. But they're people like you and like me. We are all part of the problem. My grandfather was a, a wise man and uh, once said, if you ever find the perfect church, let me know. I'll go and ruin it for you because I'm a sinner. He was an elder in the church and probably a good one. You see, what he was saying and what I think Scripture is saying is if you are not self-aware of your own sin, then you won't think you need God's grace. And you won't confess your sin when you have forgotten that God's grace covers you. You won't confess your sin when you have forgotten that God's grace covers you. Now, what do I mean about this? I want to run through this pretty quickly here, but I want to tell you four things in in the way that God's grace covers you. There's at least these four. The first is this. God's grace covers the guilt and penalty of your sin. Let's put this verse on the screen. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. 
There's no condemnation because you cannot be condemned because your guilt is taken away and the punishment is gone. Okay? You've been covered in Christ Jesus. But secondly, God covers your status as an outsider by adopting you into His family. Let's look at Romans 8, verse 16. Put that one on the screen for us. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Right? This was one of the themes of the song that we sang earlier. I am a child of God. We have to remind ourselves, sing that to ourselves to believe it because sometimes we act like we're orphans and that we can't be loved and brought into the family of God. But He covers that status and brings you into His family. The third thing that God covers is He covers the shame of your sin. When you're just embarrassed and think, man, this is who I am and I can't be loved and nobody's going to approve of me. Romans 9.33, look at this verse. As it is written, see I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. This is referring to Christ. And the one who believes in Him, that is Jesus, will never be put to shame. Right? God is not out to shame you. God covers your sin, your shame. And the fourth thing is He covers your sin with His righteousness. And there's verses in the New Testament, but I like this picture from Isaiah 61 as the the prophet is prophesying, saying this is what it will be like in that great day as the Messiah comes. And he says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of His righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Notice the language is what being said. Right? I mean, at a wedding, you're washed, you're clean. At any kind of sacrificial thing, you're washed, you're cleaned. You've been clothed, you've been robed, you've been gowned like a bride. Being presented to God. Beautiful. Adorable. Delighted in. Your sin is not the thing that ends up defining you. You are covered. Now we could talk a lot more about that, but this sermon actually isn't even about that. But it definitely includes it. Because if you forget that God's grace covers your sin, then you won't confess your sin. There's a a saying that is generally true. Uh, I think it was J.D. Greer that said it, but I could be wrong on that. But this is the saying. It says, cover your sins and God will expose you. Expose your sins and God will cover you. What does all this mean in practical everyday life? It means that when you feel guilty because you have sinned, when you're ashamed of what you have become, when someone else confronts you and points out your sin, you don't need to cover yourself with defense mechanisms like distancing from the other people, from building barriers, from blame shifting, from lying. You don't need to wallow in your guilt. You don't need to hide in your shame. You don't need to have fear of being known because... Jesus has already covered you. When the Spirit of God brings conviction to your heart, to your soul about your own sin, you don't need to rise to defend yourself or slump into self-pity and shame. Because when you do that, you actually commit a very foolish act of unbelief, thinking, I can't be known. I can't be seen. It's foolish because it is impossible for anything to be exposed before God that hasn't already been covered by the blood of Jesus. He already knows it. 
He already died for it and said, I've died for your sins, past, present, and future. They're covered. The life-giving thing to do is run into the arms of a holy Savior that are open and waiting to hug you. Because you are covered. Now that's good news. But that's not what the verse I read in James says. Right? James is taking that and applying that as an extension because what James said was not confess your sins to God. Which you're probably fine with. Oh, I'll confess my sins to God, sure. James said confess your sins to one another. Oh, now that's a whole different ball game. Whole different ball game. But what we just talked about is true and matters because you will not do it if you don't believe that the greatest being, the one who made everything, who made you, actually delights in you, if you have that umbrella over you, then you have a chance at confessing your sins to one another. If you don't get that, there's no way you're doing this. So the second point here is that you won't confess your sins when you have forgotten that God's grace changes you. Right? Not only does it cover you, it changes you. In other words, God's grace doesn't just save you, it also sanctifies you. Now, now I'm starting to step on some toes, probably. Because it's good to have my sin exposed and be covered and forgiven, but are you going to require me to change too? It's one of the things God does. He works, and change, works, works change in us. You see, sin is self-serving. It's self-focused. It's what we want. I mean, that's kind of at the very heart and core of it. It's like, I'm not going to listen to God. I'm going to do what I want. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to do what I want. It's about me, me, myself, and I. Um, and because sin is that way, it ends up being antisocial and destructive to our relationships because everything is about us. And when it is destructive to our relationships, it hurts others, right? Now, here's an obvious statement that probably needs to be said. At least half of your relation prob- relationship problems exist inside of you, not just with others. Because in a relationship, there's other people, and then there's you. And you relate to them. You're at least half the problem. Right? In terms of the people involved. And because... You sin just like they do. And it's easy to say, well, you need to change. And you're sitting there going, yeah, you need to change. Elbow over there, elbow over there. Don't you change what you can control first. Change you. Change yourself. Now here's the twist, right? The change is not something that you work on by yourself. It's not something you do alone. It's not something you listen to a podcast about change on and go, okay, I'm going to work on changing myself morally and my behavior in the absence of any other individual. Because remember, at least half of it's you, but the other half is how you're going to connect other people unless you're going to be living on an island alone somewhere. And so the twist is, this always involves you. And that's why James is saying, confess your sins to one another. Because it always involves other people. And he's saying, 
right? Confess your sins to one another and pray for each other that you may find healing. He's saying there's actually such power in confession and praying for one another and forgiving that it actually brings healing to you. Healing, spiritually, yes. Mentally, psychologically, to to different things, yes. And relational health, yes. Your health is improved when you confess sins and are forgiven. Change isn't something you can do alone, though you are responsible for it, right? It is something that involves others, but more than that, it is something the Spirit of God must be working in you so that change is always sourced by the Spirit of God, but supported by the people of God. And other people, not just Christians. God uses all kinds of people to bring change. Paul Tripp, pastor, theologian, says, Confession is the God-ordained portal for change. Right? Because it's the place you start when you have to admit and own it and go, okay, this is who I am. This is where I am. You're saying, here it is. Here's all the dirty laundry. Here's all the trash. Summertime vacations are great, aren't they? And uh, maybe some of you have been to Disney World. I can't remember. I don't know. How, how, how am I supposed to keep up with everybody? But uh, growing up in Florida, I've been to Disney World a lot of times. And uh, great place, right? Um, one of the things that's interesting about Disney World is they hide all their trash. You never see trash anywhere. If it, like, I think it somehow just before it hits the ground, it gets like vaporized or something. I don't know. There's no trash. And even though there's trash cans, you never see anybody removing trash because it's all done underground. Because when it was created, they did not want you to see trash anywhere. And so Disney World operates on a system of trash removal from below and takes everything out underground. It has 17 collection points in an underground system of vacuum tubes that sucks trash out at 60 miles an hour every 15 minutes. Because you're not allowed to see the trash. Because that place is spectacularly perfect. It's Disney. It's kind of like heaven, but it's not like earth now. Because the reality now is we all got trash. And it's attached to us. We're dragging it around, stinking up the place. And it doesn't just get sucked away, but we try to hide it. We try to hide that trash. But God actually says, don't hide your trash. Bring it to me. I mean, it's one of the things we do every week when we come to worship is we, we start and we sing and we praise God for all His glory and who He is, and then we're immediately like, okay, but that's not who we are. And we bring our trash to God. We pause for confession, read some scripture that points us that way, give you a moment of silence sometimes, or maybe it's a corporate reading when we're confessing it. And what we're saying is we don't come here all cleaned up and pretty. We don't hide our trash. We bring it to the cross. Because we have a great trash man. His name's Jesus. Now, the other part of this, though, is that sometimes you've got to tell other people about your trash. Sin, like trash, stinks, and it hurts relationships. That saying that I said earlier that is generally true, that cover your sins and God will expose your sin, right? Expose your sin and God will cover you. It's generally true, but all Scripture must guide us in that and how do we continue and how we are going to live and the nuances of that. And we don't have time to look at all that, but it's important for me to say this too. Confess your sins to one another does not mean you become like a fountain, a free-flowing stream, just dumping all your trash 
all over everybody all the time. That's not what is being said. That wouldn't be wise either, and Scripture doesn't say that it is wise. The basic principle, though, is this. Confess your sins to the ones you have sinned against. That's a principle you would see throughout Scripture in the way that verses get applied and so forth. And so, how do you do that? Simply put, like, here's your action steps, right? If you've sinned against a person in, in word or in deed, what does that mean? Like, okay, so you've slandered a person, that's word, or, or indeed you stole something from them, okay? That's an action against them. If you've slandered a person in word or deed, confess your sin to him or her. Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 and 24 makes this pretty clear. I think maybe we have that verse, but oh, we do, good. Therefore, if you are offering your gift, this is Jesus speaking, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, okay, you've done something, you've got problems, you've got conflict, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Do you see what the point of what Jesus is saying here is if somebody, if you've sinned against somebody, go and be reconciled. If you've hurt somebody and they're like, man, they've got something against you because you, you hurt them, go to them. Go confess your sin and be reconciled. A second principle would be, if your sin is openly public against a group of people, then you confess that sin to that group of people that you have hurt, whether that's a small group or whether that's people in your office or wherever that is. Whatever the scope or the extent of that group that you've hurt and what you've done, you would confess to. James is telling us here in this verse that we read in chapter 5, He's saying there's times when you have such significant relational strain and even physical illness maybe that you go to the elders and ask them to pray for you and you confess your sins to them. And you pray for physical healing and even spiritual healing maybe that's coming because of this, what's going on in your life. He's not saying, again, I don't have time to dig into all of this with what we're doing topically here in, in, a, in confessing our sins. But he is not saying that if you are physically sick, it's because you have sinned. He is not saying there's a causal relationship every time you have physical illness. That's not what James is saying. He's saying we are whole, body and soul, united together. And so, yes, those things interplay. And it might be, but it also might not be. You just might be sick because it's part of being human and the fallen nature of this world that is broken and erodes and decays and we all die. But you go and you pray and you confess sins and you seek healing. And, and healing comes in some way, maybe physically, maybe spiritually, maybe relationally. But God brings healing. And so when you're stuck repeating the same sin, you need to help others change. So two weeks ago, I preached uh, on carry one another's burdens from Galatians chapter 6, I believe it was. Um, And so we're supposed to carry each other's burdens. The flip side of that is this today, right? If you need somebody to carry your burdens with you, then you got to take a step and confess some sin too and go, look, I've hurt you. Dude, I've messed up, but I need your help in this. I need you to help me with this. I need you to walk with me in this. And I don't simply mean behavioral modification program of some kind, though behavior modification is good, but a much deeper friendship that goes below just actions to the source of things. Somebody that says, yeah, okay, I know the trash collector. His name's Jesus. Let's go find him. That's the kind of person you need to walk with. 
I, I think I told you guys about this podcast I listened to a couple of months back, maybe in the spring sometime, called The Apology Line. Uh, I'm not going to go through it all, uh, except for to say that the basic premise of it is in like the 1980s, somebody, I think it was 80s, maybe late 70s, somebody set up a phone line in New York City. Uh, they put posters everywhere. Uh, you could call in to this phone, a tape recorder message, and just confess your sins. Apology line. People call in for all kinds of things. Yeah, I cheated on this, stole this, murdered somebody, all kinds of things. And it's anonymous. So it's never known. All kinds of people come in, call in. And why do they do it? Because it's anonymous. There's no impetus to have to change anything. You just get to offload a little bit of guilt and feel better. But you don't have to change. But what God's grace does is it actually changes you. Really, it does. And so it's not just to offload your guilt and your feelings so you feel better. It actually works to shape and change your life. One of the most difficult areas of change, I think, is in regard to sexual sin. And um, so one of the things that we have done is we have partnered with a ministry called 423 Ministries, uh, 423 Communities. There's little postcards like these that are available out in the lobby on the tables out there and stuff. But 423 Communities exist to help people who... Uh, who have been caught or trapped in their sexual sin. For men and women, a uh, group specific for each of them. It's uh, for those who have tried and failed. It provides you mutual support um, with others to help achieve victory that you never thought was possible. You can make progress. You can change and grow. But what they say is you can't do it alone. You need somebody to help you with it. And so you can find out more information. If you want more information, you can send an email to 423communities at springrunpc.org. Or you can grab one of these cards, and we will get you in contact with people. It's not us. It's an outside ministry that we have partnered with. Um, But we'd be happy to put you in touch with them. I want to read to you a quote from Paul Tripp. Because confessing sin is a hard thing to do. I get that. I know it. I believe it's a hard thing to do. I know that it's a hard thing to do. This is what he says, though. Confession shouldn't be this scary thing we do our best to avoid. Sin, weakness, and failure shouldn't be the constant elephant in the room that we all know is there but can't or won't talk about. Instead, confession is a wonderful gift that every relationship needs. It should be liberating, not understood as a moment of personal and relational loss. Our confession should be propelled by deep appreciation and gratitude toward God who has made it possible for us to no longer fear being exposed. See what he's saying? Like, it is scary, right? But it shouldn't be. It's the elephant in the room we all know. Right? It doesn't mean we're going throwing our trash on everybody. It's to whom the people that we have hurt. But we ought to confess those sins. And if we both understand the grace of God, then it's not relational loss. It's freeing and it's liberating and actually healing and restoring. And so I want to encourage you to be people who confess your sins to those you have hurt. But may I also give you two warnings like, like, I could wrap up and I could end it here, but I feel like there's two warnings I need to give you. 
because this, this topic is like we're touching the surface. There is so much we could go into. So two warnings. First warning is this. Do not turn your friend whom you say, okay, I've got this problem and I need help, and you go to your friend. They're not the one you've hurt. You're just like, I've got to talk to somebody about my problem. Do not turn your friend into your personal priest. What do I mean by that? If you go to your friend and you're like, oh, man, i got this problem i got to tell you about, and they're like, all right, well, I'd love to help you. Let me carry your burdens, right? And you dump your problem on them. And you're like, wow, I am so sorry you're going through that. It's really hard. Let me, let me say a prayer for you, and you do that. All good. What have you, what have you done? You, you've confessed to your own personal priest in whom your guilt is now relieved to some degree or another, which is okay, but if your friend becomes your personal priest and makes you miss the great high priest, you've got a huge problem. In other words, if you're like, I don't know, I just have this nagging thing, and you go talk to your friend, and they say, it's okay, I get it, and you're like, okay, good, I feel better, but you never go to Jesus, the high priest, with your sins, to confess to him and say, Jesus, I need to know that I'm forgiven. Then you've missed it. You're trying to make somebody else be Jesus, be your mediator for you. There is only one mediator between God and man, the scripture says, and his name is Jesus. Go to him. So don't turn your friend into your personal priest and lose Jesus in the process. But the second warning is this. Be careful about confessing your sin to one, you who, to one whom you have hurt who does not understand the grace of God or is not willing to forgive. Now, again, this is a whole other sermon here. Um, let me just say this. If they don't believe in forgiving, if that's not something they do, they may simply take the information that you give them and use it to manipulate you, hold it over your head, abuse and control you. And that's not a healthy dynamic, right? So be careful about it. I'm not saying don't do it, because there are times it can be a very powerful thing that begins to open that person's eyes to, wow, I do need to forgive, and why can't I forgive? And it can bring healing, whether it's to a believer or an unbeliever. It can work, but it's not... Don't be blind going into that. It may hurt confessing sin to somebody who's not willing to forgive you. And again, like, there's much more that could be said there. But I need to end because we're at time here. So when somebody confesses their sin, it is the duty of Christians, certainly, and scripturally, to forgive the one confessing. But like I said, that's a whole other sermon. It's not easy. It's costly to forgive let me tell you a story that uh, Steve Brown, who is a former pastor and radio host of Key Life um, Network, uh, told when he interviewed Justin Holcomb, who is another pastor. Um, and he asked Justin, he said, when did you first learn about the grace of God to like confess and be forgiven? When did you, when, when's the earliest days you remember understanding God's grace that covers you? And so he said, oh yeah, I remember that. I'll tell you that story. It was, he said, I learned that, that uh, God's grace covers me from my father when I was seven years old. 
And, uh, and this is how he tells the story. I'm going to read it. He says, our neighbors were going to move, and I didn't want them to move, so I snuck into their house, stopped up their drains, turned on all their water, and flooded their house. I was seven years old. And I caused thousands upon thousands of dollars worth of damage. When I realized what I had done, I was so ashamed, so I lied to my dad saying, who would do that? I prayed every night that I would not be caught, and I asked God for forgiveness over and over and over again. One afternoon, about a week later, I was playing with my friends. Dad called me into the house. The neighbor had seen me go into his house that day of the flood. Dad said, I want to ask you again. Did you have anything to do with the flood at the neighbor's house? I hid from shame by denying it again, lying through my teeth. Then Dad confronted me with the evidence that the neighbor saw me. I broke down crying. Dad was angry and said, I am angry, not just because you flooded the house, but because you lied to me over and over again. You need to get straight with God and with me and with the neighbors, and you're going to be grounded for a very, very long time. I said, Daddy, I am sorry. And every night I have asked God to forgive me. Dad interrupted, what? You've asked God to forgive you? Yes. Dad said, oh, that's different. You're forgiven. Go out and play. He said, that was the first time I understood the grace of God that covers sin. Christian, by faith in Christ, your sins are covered. Like a seven-year-old that could never pay for the damage that you've caused and the trash that you drag around, your heavenly Father covers your sin and says, go out and play. And when you confess your sins to one another, and forgiveness is offered. You no longer have to carry those burdens. You get to enjoy the relationship again. You get to go out and play. So though it's hard to confess sins, if you do, you get to play again. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you will help us to believe in the magnificent, wonderful, overwhelming ocean of your grace that is infinitely oversupplied, that never runs dry or runs out. We thank you, Lord, that you are constant, that your promises are true, that you never shake, you never waver, you never will. You are always gracious toward your children. And Jesus, will you give us the strength to confess our sins to you and to those whom we've hurt that we might find forgiveness and that we might be able to go out again and play. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.